Hey guys, Ben here with another riveting episode of Theology for You. Thanks for listening. Um, hope you enjoyed our last episode with uh, Todd and teaching children the Bible and theology. I'm honored on this episode to have my uh, brother-in-law, and not many brother-in-laws can probably say they're honored to have their brother-in-law on, but I am. Uh, he's a good guy. Alex Crossland is his name, and asking questions is his game. So, How's it going, man? Good. How are you? I'm good. So thanks for having me. I'm glad glad you're here. <laughs> As a word of warning, we just got done with our uh, discipleship meeting that we do every week, and we talked about Hebrews five. So if we stumble over our words or anything like that, it's uh, Hebrews five. It's a uh, it got us right. So right. it's a good, great chapter. You should go read it. Um, so what we're going to talk about, Alex has come up with six. Is it six questions? Could be six. Could be seven. Could be ten. You never know. <laughs> right. Um, six questions on the Old Testament, and a lot of them uh, revolve around the relevance of the Old Testament, I guess, for yes. the, the life of the Christian. Why do we need it? Um, th- things of that nature. So, any uh, in- introductory matters you want to talk about or anything, you're just itching to ask. No, I can't can't think of any anything introductory okay and one one thing that we will say is alex tried to come at these questions from a uh, uh i think the words you used was maybe like a new new christian yeah like new believers yeah. so try to think of, of things that when i was in the in the beginning flourishing mm-hmm. okay <laughs> kind of growing if you will awesome so uh looking forward to it and then as usual we'll uh grill alex at the end of it and we'll see how it goes since that's uh Ben's ritual. <laughs> so, question one. All right. Is the Old Testament even connected with the New Testament? They seem like two completely different texts slash stories. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> These questions only get worse. <laughs> um, so, of course, the answer is yes. They are They are connected. Um, I think the reason... And this, this is... Um, I, th- I think this is something that you can see, uh, at least throughout the American church, is that there really seems to be a distinction between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We might even be at a point, um, uh, trying to think how, the best way to explain it without um, besmirching the Bible or something like that. But if, if we if we got a, away from that language a little bit for a while... Because it almost makes it sound like, well, this is the Old Testament. It's like right. it's an old story, then this is the New Testament. This is the new story. Um, but yeah, they, they are connected. And I, th- I think if it would be helpful, and uh, we've talked about this some in the past, it, it helps if we look at the whole Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, as having one theme, uh, which is the gospel. And the gospel has Jesus as the hero. So when we think about the Old Testament... Uh, when you look at stories of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, um, which I need a new example. I'm wearing this one out. <laughs> um, you, you, what you see in 1 Samuel 16 is that David was anointed to be the king of Israel. And then as we come to, so he's the anointed one of God. He's anointed by God to represent God's people. And when you come to chapter 17, he kills Goliath, the enemy of God's people. So it's it, it that story is not about us killing the giants in our life. It's about the anointed one of God killing the enemy, the enemy of the people of God. So when we look at that 
from a one theme or one story perspective, from a whole Bible perspective, um, looking at the big picture, then the story is really about Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one of God, killing the enemy of God's people, which we saw in Hebrews 2 when we talked about it, um, defeating death. Um, he defeated death by his death. He defeated Satan by death, who hold, held, held, holds the power of death. So I think that's the first way we can kind of see that they're connected. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I think another way we can see that they are connected is just Jesus' view of the Old Testament. Um, you see in Luke 24, twice, he's talking to the disciples. First, he talks to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he this this really goes in with this one theme, one hero, which is Jesus. Um, he explains to the disciples on the road to Emmaus all the things concerning him from Moses and the prophets. And then you see he does it again later in Luke 24 to all the disciples. He uh, talks about the things concerning him from Moses and the prophets. Uh, you even see, I think it's Matthew 27, 46, when Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22. So Jesus is quoting the Old Testament even as he dies. Um, yeah. Luke 4, with Jesus' temptation, he's using the Old Testament to fight the temptation. He's quoting the Word of God, which is the Old Testament. Um, so that just that interrelatedness of one story, one theme. Because I, I think we're tempted sometimes, at least the background that I grew up in, to look at the Old Testament uh, merely as just moral examples. Mm -hmm. Be like David. Uh, be like uh, uh, Abraham, Moses. Be like these guys. Be like Daniel. Be a Daniel. You know, um, be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right. Right. Which uh, I'm not sure if you want to do that because I got <laughs> thrown into a fiery furnace. But yeah. Um, but when we just look at look at it with that stilted view that it's moralistic or moralistic examples, it is hard to see how they're connected. But if you start with that assumption that the whole Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, are one story. Um, a lot of people don't like the word story, but it's, it's a true story. Right. Um, uh, one theme with one hero. The theme is the gospel, and it's Jesus as the hero. I think that that can really help. Um, and St. Augustine uh, had a quote um, that uh, I, I wrote it down because I didn't want to forget, but he said, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So what's hidden in the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. Um, but the New Testament illuminates the Old Testament in many ways so that we can we can understand it. But I think really a big thing that he's getting at when he said that is there's an interconnectedness here. They're not two, two different things. Um, and it's probably telling that he's writing that within 400 years of the new testament being finished right so so that's that that would that would that would be my answer i think more most importantly the bible's answer to um how they're connected um anything like that so, so so kind of a way to think about it is to change your point of view instead of thinking of the old testament as simply fables it is all one book one story mm-hmm one main character yes jesus yeah one book two parts may be a better way to look mm. at it um just like a uh, a novel you might read have might, might have multiple parts to it but it's all one book uh, but yeah just that 
really a change of point of view on it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess kind of as a continuation, but I think you've uh, already hit it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Is the Old Testament even relevant for Christians? Isn't everything we need to know in the New Testament? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's also a very good, very good question, as all these questions are. Um, I think one verse we can look at a few, not one, not one verse, three verses. Paul writes uh, to Timothy. It's his second letter, Second Timothy chapter three, uh, starting in verse fifteen. He says, "And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings." Notice he says, "Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ." Then he goes into very, very familiar set of verses and says all scripture is breathed out by god and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of god may be competent equipped for every good work so paul really takes this question and turns it on his head and says that everything you need is in the old testament Hmm. um because at the time of writing all scripture would have been the old Old Testament. testament yeah but notice in verse 15 he even says the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So he's even saying that the way of salvation in Christ Jesus is found in the Old Testament. And all that scripture is profitable and it, it covers everything um, for teaching, for reproof. So it uh, corrects us. It trains us how to live, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. So... We are blessed to have the Old Testament and the New Testament. But Paul is saying here to Timothy, you have everything you need in the Old Testament. Um, So really, to just look at the New Testament in that way is really deficient on the New Testament as well, if you think about it. Because it's like, well, I've got everything I need. Whereas the witness of the New Testament is, well, you also have everything you need in the Old Testament. Uh, But now that we have the New Testament, we would say you need both. They're, yeah. they're, they're both profitable. So we can apply this verse uh, to the uh, broader context of Scripture and say that, well, not only is the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, profitable, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, and Romans, they're, they're profitable as, as well. Uh, but in the uh, original writing, um, Paul's saying it's all in the Old Testament. Right. It's got everything you need. So that's... I think that's where I would start answering that question, and then if other questions kind of came off of that, we would take them yeah. as they came. But I think that's the Bible's witness to, yeah, it, right. it's, it's all in the Old Testament. And I've even noticed, you know, in my own reading, they they quote back to the Old Testament, obviously, because that was all they had at the time. But, mm-hmm. you know, if, if all you read or all you knew was stuff in the New Testament, that those quotes from the Old Testament aren't going to make any sense. Mm-hmm. Or, exactly. I mean, if if you go back and see where they're from, taking that one little excerpt will make that uh-huh. much more sense. Yes. Yeah, and you even, yeah, you even think of Peter in Acts 2, after the Holy Spirit descends, and he preaches the first Christian sermon, if you will. Mm-hmm. Well, it's all in the Old Testament. Right. What he's saying is about Jesus. Yeah. Um, which goes back to our first question. So if we get the point of view correct, then... That's why I said Everything before we flow. talked about this, if we can get the point of view right from the beginning, all these other questions are probably just going to flow with it. Right. So, 
Um, what parts of the law are relevant to us as Christians? Um, so I guess kind of kind of what I was thinking was um, it, it mentions not eating unclean animals. So unclean in the Old Testament, an unclean animal was uh, pigs. Mm-hmm. But Christians eat bacon because bacon is delicious. And... Uh, <laughs> We just had bacon pizza. Right. It, so, was, it was great. <laughs> so with, if one part of the law is n- not really hindering us as a Christian, mm-hmm. is is any of it, and do we need to abide by specific rules or are only certain rules applicable to us? Mm-hmm. I think this is where the example of Jesus and the apostles really comes into play. So to answer this, we'll have to focus a little more on the New Testament. Um, You've got uh, two passages. One is in Mark, where Mark provides a little uh, parenthetical note as you're reading that um, in something that Jesus said, he declared all foods clean. And then you also have, I believe it's Acts 10, where Peter has the vision of the sheet coming down from heaven and has all the animals on it. Yeah. and God says uh, to Peter, uh, eat. And then Peter says, I've never eaten anything unclean. And then God says, well, what I've called clean, don't call unclean. So there's this um, fulfillment in Christ that if he... If Jesus or one of the apostles has said, this is no longer binding, such as the the food laws, uh, it's not binding, right? So, but we have to keep in mind that God gave these laws in a a specific place to a specific people. So you see things um, where God told the people of Israel to build a, uh, basically like a gate around their roof. Um, Why? I think if you look at what Jesus says about the greatest commandment, which is to to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, one way that you could love your neighbor in that time was to build a gate around your roof because you spent a lot of time on your roof and just the way the culture was. Um, I don't build a gate around my roof, but I am to love my neighbor. Uh, One way that the Israelites loved their neighbor was putting a gate so that they're... uh, neighbor's toddler didn't try to run off the top of the house, mm-hmm. right? right? So they, they love their neighbor that way. So there's three distinctions with the law. Civil law, which would be things like um, putting gates on your roof. Uh, ceremonial law, which um, as we can as we will see more in Hebrews as we continue to study. Uh, things like the, the priest offering uh, sacrifice, the people bringing sacrifices. Well, those have been um, those were pictures they were types of what Jesus was going to come and do. So that Jesus is now the sacrifice. So if we continue to offer the sacrifices, what we're saying is that we've not accepted the sacrifice of Jesus. Then there's the moral law. Um, the easiest way to look at that for right now is just the Ten Commandments. I think things like the Ten Commandments are still binding on Christians. And I take that from uh, like Paul as an example. We'll use the Ten Commandments. A lot, um, such as uh, now that we are in Christ, we're new creatures. He says, "Don't lie, tell the truth." Well, where does that come from? That we should not lie 
I think it's God's moral law, um, which I think is binding on everyone. Right. But for for Christians, as far as the three t- sets of laws go, I think that's the only one that is binding on us in in some in some fashion. And it's not binding on us to gain salvation. It's binding because we are because in because we are saved. We're saved. We're in Christ. We are God's people. Now, thinking back to the three types of laws. Um, do you think that the civil laws and the ceremonial laws were put in place to help them keep the moral laws? I think they all work together in in some way. I um, I think God gave the law, and you and you see this in the Old Testament is uh, God says, "I'm going to dwell in your midst, and if I am to dwell in your midst, this is what your life needs to look like." And God told them that because he had already chosen them as his people. You see that in Exodus 19 and even the beginning of Exodus 20 before God even gives the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> so I think all of them, so like the ceremonial law, if you sinned, you brought the, the goat. Right. Um, well, you brought the goat in faith that when you sacrificed it and the blood was shed, that God would forgive as he said he would forgive. But the problem was the next time I sinned, I had to bring the goat again, and God would continue to forgive. Um, so you see in Hebrews that when Christ came, he died once for all as a sacrifice for sins. But I do think they kind of work together in that um, the civil law, the ceremonial law, and the moral law um, work together in that this is how Israel should look if God is going to dwell in their midst. And then you see that they didn't fulfill it, so God kicked them out. Right. That, that's what you see the exile. That, 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 does that answer it? I think so. Okay. Okay. Um, jumping a little bit. Okay. Jump. All right. <laughs> <clears throat> Why is the Old Testament God so full of wrath and doesn't seem to show as much love as the New Testament God? Mm-hmm. They are one God, but <clears throat> yeah. why in the Old Testament is there more wrath? Well, I I think, unfortunately, this question gets a lot of uh, uh, publicity, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and honestly, I think it's it's more of a... Uh, an antagonistic question than it is an honest question. If I'm yeah. <laughs> just being straight. <laughs> um, so er, early in the Bible, Exodus 34, and even Exodus 33. Um, there's a passage where God, uh, Moses asked God to, to see his glory. Exodus 33, 18. He says, please show me your glory. And God responds and says, I will make all my, notice where he starts, goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And then when we jump to Exodus 34, he says, um, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So you, you see... Um, what people so often say, well, the God of the New Testament is a God of love and mercy and grace. Well, this is God's own word. He's 
merciful, gracious, slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. So not only is he loving, but he's faithful in his love. Um, he's continuing in his love. He's forgiving. Uh, he forgives transgression and sins, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So when you see wrath, when you see judgment, first thing we learn from these verses is that God is slow to that. Very slow. Um, you see verses like this even in um, the Psalm, Psalm 145, 8. The Lord just, it's almost as if it's taken straight out of Exodus 34. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. Not some, but all. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. So when you see wrath, when you see judgment, know that God was slow to it. But the key thing here is when you see God exercise wrath in the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament when he exercises the wrath of God on his son on the cross, <clears throat> it's because it's deserved. Um, Any time that God exercises wrath in the Old Testament, it's because it was deserved. It's not because God flew off the handle. Mm -hmm. Because he's slow to anger. Someone who's slow to anger doesn't fly off the handle. Right. Um, <clears throat> so going back to our first question, are they connected? Well, they are connected. Um, because we can't really say we have a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament because it is the same God. But one thing we learn about God, first and foremost, is that he's gracious, he's merciful. You think about the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. Who's the one that goes after Adam and Eve? God. Um, I think that's grace. Who's the one that provided adequate covering for Adam and Eve? God. Um, so right from the beginning, after he created, and after his creation rebelled against his perfect and holy authority and he's the one coming after them and saying look you messed up but I'm going to send someone who's going to crush the head of the serpent that's grace that's mercy yeah. so I, I think that question is really it's more of an antagonistic question than anything do, do we maybe see more wrath in the Old Testament maybe but that's because we don't understand the gravity of the cross mm -hmm. um, I think it was John Piper I was listening to the other day and he's and I mentioned this on Sunday, but I couldn't remember who I was <laughs> talking about on Sunday. Um, it's at the cross that I see how horrible I am. That Jesus bore the wrath of God for my sin. The wrath that I rightly deserve. But it's also at the cross that I see the love and the mercy and the grace of God and just how undeserving of it I really am. So, I think that's the bigger question. People... A bigger issue is people stay away from the cross and want to make this an issue in the Old Testament when honestly if you were to just read it it's probably a non-issue right at the end of the day sense. yeah did any of the people before Christ go to heaven and if so how could they go before Christ because if if Christ is essentially our, I don't want to say ticket, because I, I feel like that kind of <laughs> sounds demeaning, 
Well, Christ is uh, the way, the truth, and the life. That is true. Yeah. If, if he is the way to heaven, mm-hmm. then without knowing him and believing in him, how could, uh, say, Moses mm-hmm. enter heaven? Let me go to three different places to answer that question. Um, I'm going to start with Abraham. We might get to Moses. We'll see. <laughs> um, so early on in Genesis, uh, after Melchizedek, who we just talked about, right. um, blesses Abraham. Uh, Abraham has a vision. And the vision is um, God says to Abram, I am your shield. Uh, your reward shall be very great. And then um, Abraham is uh, uh, talking to God and basically saying, how can these great promises that you've made to me back in chapter 12 be true? I don't have a child. Isaac had not been born yet. How can I be the father of a great nation? And How can my family bless all the families of the earth if I don't have a child? Um, And the word of the Lord came to him and said, this man shall not be your heir because he had had a a son with uh, Hagar, mm-hmm. Ishmael. Uh, he said, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, This is God, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and it, and he, the Lord, counted it to him as righteousness. That's a key, key thing there. He believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Then as we come to the New Testament, we come to Romans 4, and Paul picks this up. He says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Then it also talks about David. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So we're saved by Christ. No doubt about it. We'll go to one other place here in just a minute. But what the Bible seems to argue is that Abraham had faith in God's promise. And the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Then Paul picks this up and says that Abraham was justified by faith. But in chapter 3, he said... um, Verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus one thing I think Paul is saying when he says he passed over former sins and then he picks up Abraham is that Abraham's faith was forward looking in the promise uh, to the promise of what God was going to do because you even see in Galatians Paul explicitly says that God preached the gospel to Abraham well what's the the gospel the, 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 the news that you and I are sinners God is holy we have rebelled, we've sinned against him, and God has sent the Savior so that we can be made right through him. But only those who come to faith in him are made right mm-hmm. with God. 
So the saints of the Old Testament, they weren't putting their trust in the sacrifices. They weren't putting their trust in the rituals. They were putting their trust in God's promise that he was going to send the anointed one that he talks about all the way in Genesis 3.15, saying that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. So their faith was a forward-looking faith. And you see this even in Hebrews 11, where this is sometimes called the hall of the hall of faith um it says by faith abraham obeyed when he was called out to called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going by faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with isaac and jacob uh, verse 10 for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Then he goes on to say, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Christ. Christ did not come. But having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Um, and it even says the same thing about Moses. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Uh, so the question of how were the Old Testament saints saved, his, they were saved the same way we were. They were saved by Christ. But whereas we are... Uh, um, I actually had a little kid say this in Sunday school, and it's actually kind of stuck with me. We look back to the cross, and they were looking forward to the cross. Mm. Um, little kid said that, huh? Little kid. It's impressive. Yeah. While we're talking about Genesis, of all things. <laughs> yeah. But um, so that, but it's it, it it it's faith. Old Testament saints, New Testament saints are exercising faith, but it's not just random faith. It's faith in. Christ. The difference is we look back on it, and right. they were looking forward to it. They were looking forward to the Messiah coming, yes. and we saw the Messiah come, so we're looking back to exactly. Yeah, Does that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Out yeah. of the house of babes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but once again, going back to our first question, if we have just this one theme, one hero down, I hate to beat this. Right. Some of these things will kind of work out because um, even the the going back again to the background we came from, um, I couldn't have told you how the Old Testament people were saved. I don't even know if they were saved, right? Right? Because uh, just the way that we talked about the Old Testament, and I, you know, all I knew of the Old Testament was flannel graphs. Where you put these little <laughs> flannel characters on a board, and you, you learn the Old Testament stories, right? Right. Um, so yeah, that's I digress. Okay. Um, this one will probably throw you for a loop uh, I'll probably don't derail the show here <laughs> find out <laughs> why does God punish people on earth in the Old Testament but not in the New Testament this is a hard one um, first first thing we always need to remember and this is hard is in Christianity, there is a distinction between the creator and the creature. God's the creator. We are the creature. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and because of who God is, what we saw in Exodus and even Psalms, he's uh, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. God can do with us as he will. And then if, if we see God exercise wrath on particular people in the Old Testament, we always have to remember that distinction of creator-creature. Um, but God always does something so that he might be known. So when you see um, the Israelites passing through the Red Sea on dry ground, and then God brings back the waters upon the Egyptians, it says he did it so that they would know that he is the Lord. So if we begin with who God is, and run with that not that the question is easier to answer but it gives us some guidance i think the probably another way that we can come at this why did god maybe visibly punish people in the old testament you don't see it in the new testament uh, jesus has come and in some way jesus for now has averted god's wrath um, he did that uh, willingly and knowing what he was doing. But then we'll see in Revelation that when Jesus comes again, that wrath is unleashed again. And it can even be, we see in Romans 1, that God's wrath even now is just manifested in a different way. Because we see Paul talking about how in Romans 1 that God gave people over to a de debased mind. But he starts out in verse 18 by saying, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And then he says he gives them over to a debased mind. So that God's wrath is still exercised in some sense, but differently in that God just gives them over to a debased mind. Um, and he still does that so that we might know that he is the Lord. I think that's a, that's a pretty difficult question to answer. I, I, even in the time I've had to think through it, I don't think I've come up with an adequate question right. or answer yet. I, but that's where I would start. Um, that's kind of where I think the Bible would direct us. And, and we always have to remember when we ask these questions, we must be humble. Um, God does what he does for a reason. Uh, God does what he does because he's God. And we may not understand it. Um, we may have trouble figuring it out. Um, but he's God. And if he is who he says he is in his word, then we can trust that he's doing what's good and what's right and um, ultimately what's going to glorify glorify him at the end of the day. Right. So does that make some sense? I, I, mm -hmm. I, was, dreading, yes, I was dreading that question a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of planning on whether or not I was going to ask it. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with that one because I was thinking myself as I, I tried to answer these questions myself as I wrote them and that was kind of um, a similar thought was uh, like what the New Testament part was through Christ so that you know that I'm peeking over at your, your library and I see strange fire so it's making me think of um, when God punished them and just you know burn them on fire and they dropped into a pit you know stuff like that doesn't happen mm -hmm. anymore and I was thinking that it was because of 
of Jesus and, and that he had paid mm-hmm. for our sins so that we would be judged later, not as immediate. Yeah, and it, it, think of it as well. When we get to the old, end of the Old Testament and we see the New Testament and we see Jesus on the cross, the Old Testament really has set us up to see the horror of sin. And is the is the is the horror of sin any worse in the Old Testament than it is in the New Testament? No. But Isaiah fifty three, it was the will of the Lord to crush him, to kill him, because that's what sin deserves is death. The wages mm-hmm. of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So. The Old Testament, when it when I think about this, the Old Testament really sets us up well and shows us God knows what he's doing to see the horror of sin and just how helpless we are against it yeah. and what kind of punishment it actually deserves. So that when we see the cross, it's not something light. Yeah. Um, it's not something that you wear around your neck, right? Right. Um, it's weighty. Holiness, wrath, mercy, grace, love, righteousness, justice all collide in the cross. There's a David Crowder song called Beautiful Collision. That's what I always think of. There's this beautiful collision at the cross, but at the same time it's horrific because that's what our sin deserved. Um, So it's always just helpful to keep keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. I think that might be it for my questions. All right. Well, I hope that was helpful. It, it was on air critique. On yes. air critique. All right. Yes. Um, Great answers. <laughs> I don't know about that. But, um, the Old Testament. I know it. It, it can be hard. And I, re- I, I've said this multiple times in the thirty-eight minutes we've been on already. Um, but just that one theme, one hero. If we mm-hmm. can really get that, um, I think it'll help a lot. One thing I love about Charles Spurgeon, other than his impressive beard. Is <laughs> he, he does an incredible job of uh, he really practiced what he preached in that he he said that any text that I come to whether it's Old Testament or New Testament I'm going to make a beeline to the cross. In other words, he's going to get to Jesus right as quick as he can. Um, but what I love about that is it helps us make sense of the Old Testament um, that. This is all leading to a certain point, and if we can get to that point, um, we've done a. There's many other things we need to look at, but if we get to that point, I think that's where God wants us to be. Right. So, um, but the Old Testament is it's wonderful. It's hard to understand, and some of it's hard to understand because a lot of it's poetry, and uh, we don't live in a very poetic right. society. So, and Hebrew was a very poetic uh, language. Um, because Hebrew, when you see angry translated in the Hebrew, it actually, in the Hebrew, it's uh, his nose became hot. <laughs> so just these, you know, these, uh, I don't know if uh, metaphors, I don't know what other word to put on it right, right. now. Um, so yeah, but it, it, it's, it's, it's beautiful. And if we look at it as progressing to a certain point, I think we're, right. yeah. 
So it wouldn't be a uh, a show with a guest without a few questions. So you've grilled the host, now I want to grill you. <laughs> Great. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm so nervous about this part. Oh, don't be nervous. <laughs> this will be fun. Um, so uh, let's just see here. We'll just start with uh, so far favorite book of the Bible. Um, I, I am currently enjoying our our trek through Hebrews, but I, I really enjoyed the Gospel of John. Yeah, it, I mean, just the way that he explains it, and and that it's told in such a different way from the other other Gospels. Mm-hmm. And he he gets to the the heart of the people that he's speaking about yeah I, I think it was john calvin who said um in the first three gospels you see the the actions of jesus and then in the gospel of john you see the heart of yeah. jesus so yeah it's a big big distinction um yeah it's a great book yeah. great book they're, they're all great but um favorite um we'll just go next we'll just go favorite verse we'll stick okay in the with the Bible um thing. i've got a couple written down Oh, I, knew this, I knew this che- one was you, coming. You cheated. Nobody I, else has I, been able to do this. Avid listener to the podcast. Brian will be so upset with you. <laughs> um, There's our new I, annual I, Brian it's even, reference. It, yeah. <laughs> listen, listen, Brian, this is how you get ready. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to go with Hebrews 15. Um, 4.15, sorry. Not, okay. not chapter 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Just the thought of Jesus interceding for us as the high priest alone is is amazing enough. But mm-hmm. the fact that he sympathizes with our temptation and our weaknesses that we struggle with every day, he, mm-hmm. he has gone through that. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it, it's just mind-blowing yeah. to... To yeah. think that our high priest, who is talking to God on our behalf, knows exactly what we're going through. He's been there. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, that's a great verse. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. Maybe one day I'll get mm-hmm. to preach on it. Right. My, my list is growing. You are correct. <laughs> my list is growing. <laughs> um, so Alex also plays uh, drums at our church. Does a great job. Plays a, another in- instrument that's a percussion called the cajon. Spelled like Cajon. Um, favorite uh, favorite song that maybe we do oh. at church. So this mm. is a new one. I'm yeah, I was see? not ready for through this the one. music loop on. Yeah. Like, Don't prepare. That's <laughs> um, what you get for man. Jab and Brian. I would say. Of course, now I'm forgetting the, the name of the song, but it, it's a Getty song. There's there's two that we do. Um, Oh, how good it is, mm-hmm. and um, I might need your help here. Christ is risen? Yes. Okay. Christ is risen. I would say Christ risen is indeed. risen is probably my, my top favorite, and the other one's number two. Oh, how good it is? Yes. I, I enjoy playing them. They're fun to play. The The message is great. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't, yeah. you don't get much better than having fun behind the drum kit and, you know, playing a song with excellent lyrics yeah yeah they're yeah they're solid they're good i think christ is risen is one of my tops yeah. i really like how, how good it is too because it really captures that uh corporate language of right. worship how good it is 
of the family of God. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, so, favorite book you've read lately? And I'm not even putting any restrictions on it. It doesn't Ooh. have to be a theological or Christian. It could be just any any book. book I've read lately. And I really slacked off this summer. That's okay. You've been yeah. busy. <laughs> <laughs> um, lately. tough time thinking of one that I completed I'm, I got really bad this summer I'd read partway through and quit <laughs> don't be a quitter um, or this year will that make it easier no yeah, maybe maybe <laughs> if you can it's okay no it's not um, I'm trying to think of what's on my bookshelf hockey pucks right <laughs> that is what's on there well, I did read a good hockey book. Um, I'm a I'm a huge St. Louis Blues fan. Um, so their their writer for their local paper uh, that writes about the Blues came out with a book. It was a uh, 101 things every Blues fan should know and and or do before they die. Um, so I read that um, I guess last hockey season, which is technically the beginning of this year. So so I did read that this year. Um, but I'm gonna go ahead and keep on point with the uh, the podcast and and say a theological book maybe not the one that I've read recently mm-hmm. but not a fan I cannot think of the author it's Kyle uh, is it Idleman or it sounds, yeah, sounds something right. like that yeah um, I really enjoyed that one and uh, dad read that too didn't he I think so yeah and Gods of War by the same author hmm. that, that one I think has probably stuck with me the most so maybe let's say that one um gotta work is in that book it it makes you think of the the idols Mm. like from the old testament so they they don't have to be made out of you know stone or wood or something that we carve it could be an idea or your job you know anything in your life that is taking away from from god sounds like a good book right that's borrowed sometimes so there's three to throw at you. Yeah, thank you. you uh, <laughs> overachiever. Um, so, uh, last, maybe last question. I don't okay. know. We, we've, we've gone this long. We might as well keep going. Right. Um, I won't ask you favorite dead preacher, because I don't think I've gotten you into dead guys yet. No, I was going to say, the only yeah. one I could think of would be Spurgeon. Spurgeon. Yeah, that's... <laughs> that's becoming cliche. So right, right. Everybody stopped. says Spurgeon. Yeah, everybody says Spurgeon. Even Todd said Spurgeon. Yeah, he did. Week, and I was surprised. I really thought he threw me for a loop on that one. Um, so, other than our pastor, <laughs> who is your favorite favorite uh, living pastor or preacher? Ooh. Well, on on my podcast list, along with this show, um, I've got MacArthur's "Grace to You," Shame, and, shameless plug, and uh, <laughs> John Piper on there. But I would say. MacArthur is probably one of my favorites because he, he doesn't mess around getting to the point and he's not afraid to step on your toes. Yeah, and it hurts sometimes. Right. Yeah. I mean, he, he driving down the road, like I get slapped in the face all the time. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, but you <laughs> but you don't feel hurt. Right. That's the thing. Like, right. It's like, this this guy's looking out for me. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he does it in, in with love. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We'll just stop there since you ended on the... Oh, all right. On all John, right. on Johnny Mac. All right. 
it's uh you're gonna win some points with your father-in-law with that one I think. all right so, all right yeah um, i saw you yeah i, so. I want to jump in here real quick i do have a recommendation for everyone to read on uh this topic that we discussed today and it's jesus on every page that's yeah, good book. by david murray david murray yeah so that one helped me um with this issue of of the old testament and how to attack it in a sense um mm-hmm. to to make sure that you are looking for jesus everywhere in the bible mm-hmm. so i kind of want to throw that out there is everybody's recommended reading to have done by All next right. week we will uh <laughs> we'll put that in the show notes <laughs> put a link on there so um yeah this has been fun we're uh, almost 50 minutes of goodness so uh, Do I win a prize for having the longest episode? Uh, you might. I don't All know. Right. We'll see. Uh, I'm going to have to eat pizza before oh, every episode. Oh, Todd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so thank you guys for listening. Looking forward to um, uh, hearing from you all. How um, Maybe some tips you have on understanding the Old Testament, understanding the Bible as a, a unit, as one book. Thank you, Alex, for the um, very good, very good questions. I mean, these weren't just... Uh, these were legit questions. I don't know how other right. way to say it. Like these Thank weren't you. these weren't uh, <laughs> these were not. Uh, you didn't put anything up for me to spike. Let's put it that way. It's not like hey, here's well, anyone make it easy. Yeah, here's the all <laughs> well, you didn't. So, um, but yeah, if you guys have any tips, feel free to just uh, leave them either on our Facebook page, on our blog. Uh, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. I'm not sure you can leave a bad one after this episode, but. Right. Um, Anyway, thank you guys. Appreciate you all listening, and until next time.